Good evening. Welcome to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauver. I'm an employment law and business law attorney, and I have this show every Tuesday evening, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Talk Radio NYC, where I discuss issues with guests relating to employment and business and employment labor law, uh, and basically the, the main issues that companies and business owners and employers and employees alike are facing uh, in these modern times. And so with that backdrop, I am uh, very pleased tonight uh, to welcome my guest. My, she is also a co-host of her own show uh, here at the station. And um just want to introduce you for a moment, um, the Reverend Dr. Carolyn Curry Avery. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you on, Carolyn. Great to have you on the show here tonight. And uh, our topic for our listeners, which I, again, I think is really, really uh, pertinent, frankly, in any age, but it just seems like a striking, striking matter that's been mostly in the news and, and people on people's minds and hearts. Uh, and that's the topic of dismantling racism in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And to summarize our topic tonight, you know, Carolyn and I were speaking last week and it's, it's, it's sad, but it's true that racism remains as this deeply destructive aspect of our society. It's, it's embedded, it's in our systems of thought and their interactions, and we find it in all settings, including employment. Um, and so tonight, Dr. Terlin Curry Avery and I will discuss some methods for identifying racism, right? For confronting it and dismantling it in the workplace. And I recognize, and I think we all recognize, hope we all recognize that there's no single show that could possibly achieve uh, this task. Um, but we do hope to address some causes and get down some conditions as well in our conversation. So we will be discussing uh, the language used in dialogue over race, including in employment contexts. We're going to talk about how to recognize the impact of racism on employers and employees alike. And we'll, lastly, we'll have some roadmaps that uh, Reverend Dr. Terlin could map out for us that will be revealed uh, regarding how to have these difficult but rewarding conversations. And so with that, once again, uh, Dr. Carolyn Curry-Avery, I want to give a, a further introduction of you, if I may, uh, in terms of your background. Um, so the Reverend Dr. Carolyn Curry-Avery, uh, we'll call you, as you'd like to be called, the Reverend Dr. TLC. That's a nice ring to it. Uh, she is the creator of Pastology, which is the, the dynamic, spiritually-based approach to transformation that focuses on the synergy between pastoring and psychology. And the Reverend Dr. TLC is passionate about issues of racial and social justice. She has traveled the country facilitating trainings on systemic racism and implicit bias. Um, The Reverend Dr. TLC also coaches uh, transformational leaders in this area. And she offers programs for individuals and organizations that focus on interracial and interracial dialogue that is basically aimed at racial reconciliation. These discussions begin with individual transformation, according to the Reverend Dr. TLC, and then they move to a systemic transformation with a particular organization or a community or institution. Uh, Her expertise in this area is crucial to how she engages individuals to transform their relationships with, and I really like this part of your bio, if I may, uh, relationship with the sacred, which is themselves, I'm sorry, with the sacred, with themselves, which is the selfish, and with others, which is shared. And last but not least, I'll note that the Reverend Dr. TLC is the author of Sacred Intelligence, The Essence of Sacred, Selfish, and Shared Relationships. And the Reverend Dr. TLC's next book, to keep an eye out for folks, is Dismantling Racism, The Sacred Intelligence Journey of Faith for Transformational Leaders, which will be available in early 2022. Last, last, last but not least, <laughs> the Reverend Dr. TLC is the host of as I mentioned, Dismantle Racism, which airs on this station, Talk Radio NYC, on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And I've said a mouthful there. Uh, all great stuff, really impressive your background, uh, Tara Lynn, and uh, really uh, glad to have you on the show, as I mentioned. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure thing. So one question I like to usually ask my guests, and I'll ask it to you for you as well, uh, is if you can, can you tell listeners a bit more about yourself and mainly 
what inspired your current professional path and what passion projects might you be working on right now? Like, how did you get to where you are? Mm. Well, so it's really interesting. And, and I want to go back and kind of talk about that pathologist uh, term that you mentioned in my bio. So I am a licensed psychologist as well as an ordained minister. And really, I've merged my passion for, I really just want to help people heal. So whether that's as a psychologist or as a spiritual leader or as, as a coach that really helps people really take a look at themselves and how do we manifest the greatest parts of ourselves. So for me, particularly as it relates to this work around healing and reconciliation, I was born in the South and make no mistake about it. Um, that I could recognize racism when I saw it. I recognized that things were different for me than they were perhaps for some of my white peers, for instance. So I, I was born during a time where I really was born about 45 minutes from where Martin Luther King was killed. Um, I was uh, 15 minutes away from where James Meredith actually um, integrated the University of Mississippi. So I had all of these significant things to happen around me. And though I was young and my parents sort of protected me from it, I still understood racism. So as I really started thinking about the groups of people that I wanted to work with, I knew I wanted to give back in some way to uh, inner city kids or kids of color. And I did that for quite a number of years. And then once I became a pastor, my work evolved around working with people who were wounded by religion. And while I was working towards my degree, I actually traveled the country doing a lot of racial reconciliation trainings and work uh, with educational systems. So long story short, if I can just uh, shorten it a bit, I got to a point where I thought that my mission was then to help people who were wounded by religion, and that still is a part of it. But because we live in a country where racism is very pervasive, mm. I could not just leave the racial reconciliation piece alone. I really thought that I would and focus on wounds of religion solely. But we live in a country where we see black and brown people being uh, murdered you know, by the, the police. Mm -hmm. And we see all other sorts of discriminatory practices happening. And so I was called to serve in what I do now by teaching dismantling racism courses. I still work on wounds of religion. The reason why I'm doing a show on dismantling racism is because I believe that we live in a country where we really need to address racism. Yeah. Wow, it's a lot. I mean, some really valuable stuff there, you know, to, to unpack. It's like, but it's interesting because, I mean, I really hear like the, like the personal experience, the background, uh, the childhood experience of what you saw. It's, I find it interesting that you said your parents did the best to kind of protect you, insulate you maybe from some of the harshest of the world out there. But children are very perceptive, right? So you pick these things up and you see it, you learn it, it gets into your sort of your, your bones, your, your, your very essence, your being. Um, and it's like interesting that you can look at the wounded by religion piece and also the, the wounded by perhaps racism. Um, I, I suppose it's interesting that often you will see groups that will hijack, right, a religious symbol, figure, belief system and use it to justify uh, racist beliefs. And if you unpack that, you see it's sort of like just right, a marketing branding gimmick that say, some extreme groups might find, um, you know, and it's uh, so I think it's like great that you can address religion, people who are wounded by religion and also address wounds of race uh, or rather wounds of racism, I should say, um, as, and your capacity as a pastor and psychologist kind of marrying those two. And I do like that term pastologist. I think I told you my wife is a pastor. Uh, yeah. Reverend as well in the Presbyterian Church, as I know you are too, and yeah. similar causes. Um, coming at it from as a white woman's different history and, and background, but um, that I mentioned that term pastologist, and uh, she was very fascinated by that. So maybe that's mm. another conversation. Um, yes, you know, I just want to say it's really interesting because when I first came out of divinity school, I thought that I was going to be focusing on the wounds of religion as it related to 
some horrible ways that the church has hurt individuals. Mm -hmm. But as I engage more in this work on dismantling racism, there Mm -hmm. are wounds of religion that are related to racism. So it really um, intersects. And so it's very interesting that you talk about people who use religious symbols to, to really continue to engage in white supremacy, which is really about one group, a white group feeling like it's superior over another, because I think it's important to really um, define what we mean. We're not necessarily talking about burning a cross or anything like that, but we're talking about when you believe that your group is superior just because, um, you know, you come from the white race and that sort of thing. And so uh, there are some ways in which it intersects. And I think it's important, particularly for your work around employment law, because mm-hmm. I'm often fascinated by people in the employment arena who mm-hmm. say that they are faith-based people, but still continue to practice discriminatory practices. And they don't see that there's an inconsistency with what they say they believe versus yeah. what they're practicing. That's an interesting point, you know, Carolyn, it really is because as I mentioned before the show started or in the intro, I'm an employment law and business law attorney and had been practicing in the employment realm um, since 1999, it's about 22, almost 23 years now, uh, thereabouts. And um, and I have seen many employers, and sometimes they're uh, sort of charitable or nonprofit organizations, I won't say which ones, of course, but where they, their um, sort of face to the world that they're showing is that they're very involved with social justice and causes. And yet you wonder how could discrimination be rampant rampant within their their places and systems. And it's also in private industry, right? In all kinds of like big business, small business. So it is, I think, kind of interesting that disconnect that I just heard you say. Um, what I find kind of fascinating as well, maybe fascinating is the wrong word, but curious and maybe it's probably troubling um, is like how many companies and employers assume that, you know, the issues of racism are either in the context of a giant corporation. Oh, that's, that's Google. That's you know, say Uber, that's like Lyft, like that's not, you know, our company. We're a small family-based, everyone's like family, we're friends. Uh, and that always surprises me. And also the people who say they run a company, but they're colorblind, right? And they say that famous line, you may have, I know you, I'm sure you heard, you know, like that, like, like we don't, you know, we don't see color. We, we don't see, I don't care if you're black, white, brown. And it's become an issue that well, perhaps you should see color and should see what people are because then you're not seeing the whole person, their experiences, their perception, right? How they might see a situation differently than you do. Um, so I always find that fascinating when, when I have clients who tell me that, that they don't see color, they're colorblind. Uh, you're not seeing the whole person. You're, you're, so it's, it's, I think I know their intentions, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just feeling that. So- I, I absolutely do. And I, I don't mean to, to cut you off about no, that, but I, I know that here's the thing. First of all, it's not true because right. for anybody who says to me that they don't see color, yeah. uh, but we could, we, I, I know that, that we're probably going to take a ba- break shortly. And so I, I definitely want to talk about it um, mm-hmm. uh, to, to really kind of expand it. But first of all, it's just not true. And I want you to see me as a black woman, because when you see me as a black woman, you know that I come differently to the table, perhaps, than a white woman or a Latina woman or, uh, you know, an indigenous person. So I want you to see that I'm different. For instance, my mannerisms might be different. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if you see everyone as the same, you think that I should behave in the same way. And then when I don't, you see the, me as a deficit. So that's the problem. And that's actually racist in and of itself. Hmm. Uh, that, I think, would be a great note to pick up on. As you uh, wisely saw from doing the show, we have our first commercial break. Um, we'll stick around. When we come back, we're going we're to talk about some specifics, folks. We'll get into ways that we see racism manifesting in the workplace and what can we do about it. So... To stay tuned for Talk Radio NYC, I'm your host of Employment Law Today, Eric Sauver. My guest, the Reverend Dr. TLC, Dr. Terlin Carrieri. We'll be right back. 
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber. My guest tonight, the Reverend Dr. TLC. That's uh, Tara Lynn Curry. And we're talking about this, the issue, the topic tonight is dismantling racism in the workplace. Coming at this from the perspective of uh, Dr. Tara Lynn's work in this field. And I'm listening and bringing my experience as an employment law attorney to the table in the conversation. And um, Tara Lynn, I think we really ended on a a strong topic there before the break, this whole point about the companies or employers and society, uh, people stating that they're colorblind, right? And, and sort of striving as if that's the goal of a, of a, of a non-discriminatory workplace, keeping the employment context. And you made a really good point there. What I heard you say is that if a company sees everyone as all the same, A, they can see color, right? Unless you're truly blind, you can see someone's color. You know, you can see that I'm Caucasian. You can see, you know, so it's it's, it's obvious. And, and B, um, if people have one standard, they're not recognizing that we're all different based on our culture, our, our background, and so our ethnicity, our race. So they may judge something that you're doing or saying or just your essence, your being as quote unquote wrong, when in fact it's just not what not same, you know. So, can you talk more about the colorblind? Uh, I think that's a really good topic we got into. Yes. So, here's one thing I want to say is that I understand why people say they don't see color. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about the '60s and maybe even the early '70s when we had a lot of racial unrest. Many people wanted to train their children not to be racist. And so they would say to them, we treat all people the same. We don't see color. So the intention was good to say we don't see color, but not understanding that even that intention itself was there were some layers underneath there. And that's why we have to be comfortable talking about race in this country so that we can be informed. And so as we've evolved over time, we began to change our language and we say, no, it's not okay for you to say, I don't see color, that I am colorblind. What we want you to be is color conscious. So I I wanted to share an example with you as well about when we are not color conscious. So I gave you an example as it relates to employment law that we don't understand 
the ways in which we treat people, or we could we could see it as that person's behavior is against the norm, against the standard, because the standard standard is white, right? And so when you're anything other than that, there's something wrong. But it also influences the way we treat other individuals, who we decide to hire, who we decide to write up, you know, for their performance evaluations. So I'll give you an example out of my days when I worked in a high school. Yeah. When I worked in a high school, I was doing some trainings there as a school psychologist. I did trainings around uh, conversations around racism. So I've been doing this for for a long, long time. And one of my colleagues said to me, he said, I'm glad that you talked to me about being color conscious. Mm -hmm. He said, I walked down the hallway and I was going to put some equipment back into a closet and I saw a white male in an empty classroom rummaging through the desk and I kept walking. And then I caught myself and I said, why did you keep walking? There's a student in that empty classroom rummaging through a desk. And he said, had that been a a black student or a Latina female, whoever it was, anybody other than white, I would have stopped. So he turned around. He went back to that young man and he said, what are you doing in the classroom? There's no teacher in here. And do you know what he said? He said, I am looking for a pass so I can write myself a pass to class. Mm-hmm. Now, two things came out of that. Right. One, the teacher understood unconsciously mm-hmm. that his actions were different based on the color of that student's skin. The same mm-hmm. thing happens when we're at work. Mm-hmm. Unconsciously, we respond to people based on the color of their skin. And secondly, this young white male already knew his place in society. He already knew that he had the privilege Mm -hmm. to say to his teacher, I am looking for a pass to write myself, a pass to class. A black male, black female, Mm -hmm. Latina, Mm -hmm. uh, male or female would Mm -hmm. have known that. So do you Mm -hmm. see how unconsciously we respond and we react to racism, but we also see how systemic racism is built into the system, the ways in which we govern ourselves based on the practices that are um, available in society or not available, but practice in society. Absolutely. Yeah. I love examples, real life examples. Like they really highlight in a point, take it from the abstract to the concrete, and they cause people to think, you know, like, have I ever done that? Have I seen that um, situation? And I, two things I heard there, to your point, right, and I, I think this struck me when you were telling the story, not only did the teacher react differently, but when the student was caught, that privilege sort of influenced him to be able to say, oh, look, right past, right myself, this past the class, perhaps saying, well, maybe I'm busted, but if I get caught, I'll get a slap on the wrist, which might have been very different. Mm-hmm. Um, or a student of color. And to your point, it happens in the workplace a lot. You know, I represent some employees also and employers in different scenarios. And I'm always surprised when uh, an employer says that their defense against discrimination case is that they have these like, legitimate reasons for letting somebody go or disciplining them. And they point to different infractions. But what they don't look at is like, well, okay, is that rule being excessively or unequally enforced like, with your Black, Latino, workers of color, compared to, let's say, your white workers. Um, Somebody's coming in late a couple of times. Are they getting a pass? Because you can see yourself coming in late, and somehow in your mind you think, that person was late, they must have a really good reason. And you think, that person was late, they must be trying to put one over on me, get over on the system. And what makes you maybe not even say that out loud, right? Maybe that's the inside voice that's talking to the the unconscious. And so having conversations with clients about, hey, tell me why all these valuations are so slanted against uh, workers of color to hear them say, well, they tend to break these rules and such. And well, have you seen Caucasian workers do this or that or fall short of this? And and they have to go back over record and say, yeah, we did actually see that too. They were also spoken to. Were they written up? No, well, that's a problem. So, and then going forward, how do you resolve these issues in the workplace, right? 
mm-hmm. I think it's like you raise a really good point about this, you know, the and the whole thing about colorblind starting from a quote unquote good intention. Um, it kind of leads me to another question, if I if I may, unless you wanted to add something about. Oh, I have a, I have a tons of stories, but I'd love your question because I mean I I know so many ways in which, particularly as it's related to students, where they've been penalized, just as you're saying, and that carries over into the the workplace. And I mean some very severe ways that employers don't see the ways in which they are that they have discriminatory practices, just as you said, and that's why it's important for them to get training. And to be color conscious so that they can evaluate whether they see, um, you know, people of color as different from white folks. But I'd love to take your question. Sure. No, I think it like it actually, uh, what, well, everything you're saying, uh, Terrell, everything that you're saying tonight, it kind of gets me to this other theme or question about racism in the workplace and how it could be much wider and broader. You've given great examples of like how it's a very broad topic. It, it, people often think about racism and white supremacy. They think about, as you mentioned earlier, we talked about this, the, the symbols of somebody you know, carrying a Confederate flag or a KKK sign or a torch. And so if you say to an employer, you know, racism in the workplace is, is not acceptable, um, many might say, oh, I, I agree. It's, it's horrible. White supremacy has no place in our company. So the question is, what do they mean? So I guess my question is, like, in addressing racism, right, what are some of like the terms and vocabulary that employers and employees need to be working with, right? What kind of, when they communicate, how do they get on the same page about what white supremacy means or racism or aggression? I'm sorry, say the last part right, again? So a little past the break. I want to hear your thoughts. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a really, really good question, Eric. And there are uh, lots of terms. So I just want to, First, let's start with this white supremacy, because we hear that term passed around a lot. And we are used to thinking of white supremacy as, you know, like KKK, right? Like people who wear the hoods. Um, But we actually know that when we talk about white supremacy, we're really talking about one race, meaning white, the white race, uh, that white people are superior to other races and that the standards in which we govern ourselves by are based on the white standards. And if if we do not fall in line with those standards, then again, there's something wrong. So when we think about supremacy, we think about what's supreme. That's the easiest way for me to kind of explain it. And so there are unconscious ways in Mm -hmm. which we even do that. So an example of white supremacy, particularly as it relates to unemployment, um, would be this. I often hear folks say we cannot uh, find good employees or good CEOs or good leaders who are of color. And they only look at the Ivy League schools as opposed to looking at the historically black colleges and universities because they believe that the Ivy League schools are supreme to the historically black colleges and universities. That's white supremacy in and of itself, where employers or CEOs or leaders choose to look for the people that they want to hire. Unconsciously, they don't know that they're saying that those schools aren't as good, but clearly those schools are as good. I mean, we have a vice president who comes from an HBCU. I'm a product of an HBCU. And there are millions of other people who are. So that's just one example of white supremacy in an unconscious way, even. It's it's interesting. I know we have to take a break, but one thing I just say about that is it's like what I hear is to re-examine the metrics we use, right? When we're interviewing, hiring, what we think of as like superior in quotes and what's based what that's based on. And I think that could be a great uh jumping off point when we come back. We have to take a, a commercial break. Um it goes so quickly at the time. But uh, I will say that I'm here tonight with my special guest, the Reverend Dr. Terlyn Curry Avery. We're talking about dismantling racism in the workplace, and we have more of this interesting topic. So stick around to talk with NYC and we'll be right back. Howdy. Hey, Joseph. 
Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber, Employment Law Business Law Attorney, here tonight with my guest, the Reverend Dr. Terlyn Curry-Avery, uh, aka also known as the Reverend Dr. TLC. And we're talking about this issue of dismantling racism, um, which is, is just such a, it's just so much depth to this issue. There's so much to talk about, really, and, uh, and to listen to. And I'm wondering... Just my question for you, uh, Carolyn, is uh, what are some action steps that employers can take for dismantling racism, mainly in terms of identifying it, like isolating it and eradicating it in the workplace? Mm. So the first thing that I would say is really we have to take a look at ourselves. And that's a difficult thing to do. In any trainings that I do, any conversations I have, I invite people to take a look at themselves because the only way we can transform our organizations is to really transform ourselves. And when we take a look at ourselves, we have to really be willing to ask the question, in what ways am I engaged in um racist acts, whether they're intentional or unintentional or acts of white supremacy. And what I want to say about, even just in terms of thinking about racism, is it doesn't require intention or malice because mm-hmm. often people think, well, I'm not a racist. I'm not out here doing what the what some of the police are doing, or I'm not calling people the N-word, or I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But we can unintentionally wound people through microaggressions even. And so we first have to say to ourselves, what in what ways am I showing up to dismantle racism or in what ways am I showing up where I'm actually perpetuating racism? Mm. Okay, so that's the first thing that we have to ask ourselves. Secondly, then we have to say, okay, then once I ask myself that question, maybe I need to become aware of what are some implicit biases that I might hold? 
Mm-hmm. Because those are the things that we do to begin to transform ourselves. So some implicit biases, like I just said to you before, are things around taking a look at our hiring practices. Who do we hire? How do we evaluate folks when um, we are working with them, when we're looking at their knowledge, skills, and abilities? How are we evaluating them? What standards are we basing those things on? And so that's a really, again, taking a look at that. And then as we're even looking at those implicit biases, we're mm-hmm. also looking at the microaggression. So that's three things that are very closely tied to each other, right? The, the self-evaluations, the implicit biases, and the microaggressions. And the microaggressions could be things like um, even, even when we're in an office, for instance, and we're in a meeting mm-hmm. and a person of color speaks with a strong tone of voice. Right. And people say, why are you attacking me? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we're conscious about the differences in the ways in which we communicate, we wouldn't see it as an attack. Right. If we're conscious that I'm speaking to you and I'm not smiling, it has nothing to do with you. It's just who I am as an individual. You wouldn't think I'm attacking you, but your implicit biases would say black person, angry black woman, angry black male, or because the media has also groomed us to think danger, danger, danger when we see yes. a black person. This male then who's speaking with some excitement must be dangerous when we also see white males speak in the same way, but they're not. So to be able to recognize the microaggressions and say to yourself, well, now, wait a minute, why am I feeling threatened by this person? Mm-hmm. And then asking yourself, what does this have to do with me as opposed to what does it have to do with that person? So it always keeps going back to the to the self. Looking at ourselves, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I, I wonder um, how um, employers react when, like if you say this to them in training or point it out to them in the sense that, to kind of, to Howard phrases, I'd say that, a lot of people don't like to look at their own right false flaws. It's a hard thing for people to do. People think that a mistake or a flaw or an implicit bias equals, you know, bad, right? That they're being bad. And so they want to like say, I'm a good person. I'm not, you know, a bad, evil person. How do we kind of communicate the fact that like you could be, um, you know, overall a good person, not an evil person, not a, a horrible person, but you can have some um, some, I guess, bad, you'd say, or some, some challenging traits around bias and discrimination that you need to I think, I take a look at without, you know, getting defensive. Mm. I wonder what challenge you've seen in your work. Yes. Uh-huh. So, so let me say this. So yeah. while I say that it begins with the transformation, your own transformation, mm. the way that I work with people to get them to taking a look at their themselves Mm-hmm. is I first began with the history of how racism is embedded in our society. Mm-hmm. And Mark. once we understand how it's embedded in our society and that we are simply a product of our society, folks can begin to hear it a little differently. Mm-hmm. But if I walk into a room and I go, you're racist right. yeah. and you have white privilege, what was the first thing people are going to do? They're going to shut down. So the basis of all of my work, one, first and foremost, particularly as a pastor, is I come from this place of love. Mm. I I always start out my conversations by saying we are engaged in this work because we have a shared humanity. But we need to understand how we got to this place. So for me, I start out by helping folks to understand how we ended up here. And then once we do that, I say, now we have to do the the personal work. And so every activity that I give to people is all around self-evaluation because that will get to the bottom line of what people need in their companies. So, so Mm -hmm. for instance, as I talk about in my upcoming book, I actually, when I get people to look at the Mm -hmm. self-transformation, I actually ask people, why are you doing this work? Right. Motivation. As Simon Sinek would say, start with your why. (laughs) But, but my approach is a little bit different because 
For me, I look at the greater humanity. So when when employers say, I want people to come in and do diversity, equity, and inclusion, I specifically go in and I do racial uh, equity. Because when we say diversity, equity, and inclusion, a whole bunch of things are thrown in there. And race is the thing that we're most uncomfortable with talking about. So I come in and I make it known we're focusing on race, but there's a way for us to focus on race where we can have healthy conversations. Mm. And I think, you know, like most healthy conversations, if they're going to be rewarding, often this and they're hard. They can have some hard aspects to them, right? And some rewarding uh, aspects as well. But um, I think that's like a great thing to talk about, just the idea that, you know, that we can do this work of dismantling racism in the workplace, like if I'm hearing correctly, by looking at ourselves, asking the hard questions, like how am I a part of this bigger problem? And, and how is that uh, hurting my employees, harming myself, harming others? And, you know, I, what biases are, biases are at play or bias, bias I should say, is at play. Um, and then lastly, what part of this comes from society as a whole? So it's not uh, a, a sign that the person needs to be defensive of their character as a person. Um, I mean, I hear that, and I think it's interesting to have that that sort of front and center, including the part about race that, you know, don't water it down with discussions of how we're going to be inclusive of people in different generations and, you know, short and tall and, you know, everything else. Important too, right? LGBTQ, inclusion, all, all important. But if you have a very difficult issue, we have to address it sometimes on its own. Is that, is that a mm. word? Exactly. Exactly. Because here's the thing that I think you would find. I think in any one of those things that you just mentioned, they should have their own training to begin with. Sure. But mm-hmm. here's what I think that we fail to understand is that there's an intersectionality of race with all of those things. So for instance, if we take the LGBT uh, QIA plus community, sure. In and of itself, it's important for us to talk about that that community and have trainings on. Mm -hmm. But if we look at the intersectionality of race, we will find, particularly as it relates to people who are murdered, that there are more LGBT folks of color who are murdered than white Mm -hmm. folks. So both things are horrible. But again, if we do not parse out race, yeah. And race is a social construct. I just want to say that it's all made up anyway, but we use that language because it helps people to understand what we're talking about is that when we parse that out, we see that there are differences. That's why when we are doing trainings in our uh, organizations, mm. I believe we should be, we should distinguish when we're doing DEI trainings, we should say, no, I'm going to focus solely on race. The problem is because it is difficult to talk about Mm -hmm. and people don't have to take personal responsibility for that. They don't want to spend a day or two talking about it because my trainings, I I don't believe in this one hour training and you're done. I believe in doing the hard work of the training. And so what happens is white people in general get to opt out and say, I don't feel like dealing with this. And one of the things that I hear organizations do is that they'll begin the discussion on race. Mm -hmm. And then when something else comes along, they'll say, well, we need to focus on this other thing. So race always gets put on the back burner. Yeah. And isn't that a a sort of a forum or a a manifestation of their privilege, right? They can afford to say, yeah, you know, I'll come back to this or not so crucial now, but not the same, not true for say the person of color might be aggrieved by this systemic racism. I think it's kind of a powerful thing to observe, right? To, to honor that. And um, I think it's just great stuff. I want to hear more, Trillin. You know how this goes during your own show on the station about commercial breaks. If you want to hear about, we'll come back. We'll talk about uh, some of Trillin's um, further work towards eradicating racism in the workplace and her book as well that's coming out. So stick around, folks. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC, our show Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber, and my guest, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, live, 8 p.m. Eastern, on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Employment Law Today. I'm your host, Eric Sauber, talking with Reverend Dr. Terrilyn Curry-Avery of Sacred Intelligence, also um, talking about the topic of dismantling racism in the workplace, which is um, hard work to do, but rewarding. Um, So, Terrilyn, I want to ask you a question about this work. You talked about looking at ourselves and being aware of our biases as a key starting point and how it could be difficult but rewarding. You talked about um, that this is like not a one and done hour long thing. I think it's an ongoing process. So I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, what are some of the benefits to employers and their employees in, in, in tackling this, this longstanding challenging issue? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for employers, it's always about the money. The bottom line ends up being about the money, right? So if you really kind of think about if your employees are happy, they will be more productive and you will get more out of them first and foremost. And you're more likely to be able to, if you're in the selling business or whatever you're in, to earn more money. That's first and foremost. I can think about this place that I visited during the summer and how, you know, how the employees were just so engaged with the customers. I was there for a couple of days. And I mean, these were employees of color and this place was, was, you know, uh, owned by, you know, white people. And I went there for a spiritual retreat Mm -hmm. and the ways in which the people of color talked about that place and talked about the work that was done there. I was even more engaged with the mm-hmm. place where I was and yeah. thought, wow, this is a place I can come back to because of how the employees talk. So right mm-hmm. there, you're generating business. The second thing is when employees are happier, they are um, less likely to suffer from, um, from, from, let's say illnesses, for instance, because we know that when you're unhappy with your job, sometimes you can be sad, you can be depressed. Sometimes you can have also just physical symptoms. You could have more uh, headaches. You can have um, more gastrointestinal issues going on. You can have heart issues going on, anxiety, all of those things. If you manifest those things, then you're more likely to take off work, which means the company suffers. If the company is not familiar with the fact that people of color experience something called racial battle fatigue. And what that is about is that my day-to-day interactions that I have with the world, 
And with the people that I work with, just in general, that has an impact on me emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So I don't get to opt out like these people who decide to say, I don't want to deal with racism. But if employers understand that 25 to 50% uh, more stress, uh, we experience 25 to 50% more stress, people of color, like people in particular. Right. If they understood that, they would understand the impact it has on the employee and ultimately the impact it has on your pro- productivity and your output. Mm-hmm. But if we only see people as the same, we won't recognize that. True. And we won't even recognize their true abilities and talent when you think about it. I mean, if someone's like operating with all that extra stress and, and you know, and battle fatigue, and they're still doing such impressive work in their say in the company, you know, what does that say about their raw abilities and talent, their perseverance? And aren't those great traits that you want to have as an employer with your workers, with your work employees? I mean, I think that's, I don't know if that's something that you talk about as well, but just the fact that, you know, if two people are running in a race and one person is carrying a 20 pound backpack and runs as fast as the other, what does that say about their 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 athletic prowess or skills, their abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. And so why not nurture that? Yeah. Why not why right. not take the opportunity and say, hey, let me take this 25 pounds off this person. Yes. And nurture them so that we can see how far they are actually able to go. I think that's so fantastic. When I look at culturally, when I look at uh my race in particular, and I'm thinking about all that we have to go through and still able to excel, it gives me, it actually inspires me. And I think that it can inspire um, other folks as well. I want to be clear about something. Yeah. I am not saying that white people don't have their own stressors. I am not saying that people haven't worked really hard to get where they are, because part of what happens in my trainings is that people will say, but I worked really hard to get where I am. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. Yes, you worked hard. Yes, 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 you worked hard. Right. But here's the difference. The color of your skin is never something that you have to think about, whereas I do, because people are judging me and treating me in a certain way because of the color of my skin. And so we just want you to understand that piece of it. Yeah. Wow. This is a powerful point right there. Really, you know, I think it's it's very powerful to to think about that. It's um, it's as I've heard often said that, you know, the idea of white privilege, it doesn't mean you didn't have a hard life or some challenges or hardships, because I think people get very defensive. Like, well, what about, you know, when my you know, my wife died when I was 40. What about when I you know, lost my, my foot to diabetes? And you may have had a lot of challenge in your life, but your, your race wasn't part of that. Mm. And, if, and in fact, if anything, your race may have made those challenges easier than if you were having those same challenges as a black man or woman, as Latina, as Indian, it may have been like a very different challenge for you. And I've had that conversation with people and I've watched their faces um, you know, kind of change, right? Like, wow, wait, are you saying that white privilege doesn't mean that my life is super easy and everything's hunky-dory? It's like, no, we're not saying that. It's just that, you know, of all the hardships in your life, your race wasn't one of those. Right, yeah. right. Like, you don't have to think about, for instance, like I do, if I'm going to go out and walk my dog, should I put this hoodie on? Should I not put this hoodie mm-hmm. on? You know, things like that. I have to be super conscious depending on the area that uh, I'm in. If I go in a store with my hoodie on because it's raining, mm-hmm. I have to say, oh, do I need to take this off while I'm in here? Mm. You know, it's it's an extra thing to think about. All those things. I, I wish we had some more, an hour to the hour, but I know we have to wrap up. I'm going to give you, uh, turn on the next like, two minutes or a minute and a half just to talk about like, your show you know, how people can reach you and all that stuff. The floor is yours. Well, first of all, I just would really, really love if people are looking out for the book on dismantling racism, because one of the things I want to say is I do talk about a process in there and it's particularly for faith-based people, you know, how to navigate this conversation around racism and to really stay engaged. So please be on the lookout for the uh, dismantling racism, the sacred intelligence journey of faith, 
for Transformational Leaders. And I'd also would love for you to join the show, but please go to my website, sacredintelligence.com. I list on there uh, the classes that I offer, ways for you to get in touch with me. Uh, I'm wrapping up my series right now on uh, dismantling racism, but I'll be starting another one in November of my next six-week course. So I I hope you'll join me. Well, thank you, Charlyn. Really great great information there. Great to know. People can, again, reach you at www.sacredintelligence.com. Really looking forward to your book coming out, you know, that you talked about in in the 2022, I believe you said, right? Early 2022? Yes. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, this is just like such a great conversation tonight. Really, I found it very inspiring, powerful, moving at times, really. Um, so I want to thank you like, really sincerely for being on the show, you know, Employment Law Today and for talking about this like, difficult issue, you know, racism in the workplace. Um, I hope that our, our audience tonight takes away from this uh, or that takes us in with an open mind and open heart and can get to the roll up the sleeves and maybe contact you to, to make some of these hard changes. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's like really, you know, great to, um, and can you remind our audience uh, one more time when your show is on Talk Radio NYC? Uh, it is at 11 o'clock on Thursday mornings, 11 o'clock Eastern time on mm-hmm. Thursday morning. So I hope they'll join me there too. We have some really exciting guests. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Terlin Avery, excuse me, the Reverend Dr. Terlin Avery, the tongue question there. Thank you so much again thanks for being on the show tonight. It's, it's great to have you on. Um, I'm so glad we covered this topic and I, uh, I wish you a very good evening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Oh, have a great night and we'll see you next week. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. 
This channel features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.